Welcome to History Books and Wine, where three author friends talk about books and fun historical tidbits, all while raising a glass of vino. We're your hosts, Lori and Bailey, Eliza Knight, and Madeline Martin. So, pour a glass and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 28 of the History Books and Wine podcast. I'm your host this week, Lori Ann Bailey. I'm a National Reader's Choice and Holt Medallion award-winning author who writes Scottish historicals with hot Highland heroes and spunky independent lasses finding their perfect matches in the Scottish Highlands. If you've tuned in for the last two weeks, you've heard Eliza Knight and Madeline Martin discussing spies. Eliza discussed Grace Elliott and Madeline talked about Mata Hari. And next week, you get to have all three of us as we dive into all things spies and what they need to be successful at their craft. And today, I'm going to talk about Casanova, but before I dive in and tell you about him, I've got to tell you about what I'm drinking. And I know I said I would not do this again on my own, but my family and I just got back from our Disney vacation, and I found it easier to grab a box of wine to take with us to the house we were staying at down there. I thought it would be more economical than buying wine once we got to Disney. And it turned out it was because I barely had any time to drink. So I came home with a full box of wine. So again, this is the Boda box. And let's see, it has 40 wine enthusiast best buys with over 30 gold medals. And I have to say, this Cabernet Sauvignon from the Boda Box, it's a 2017 California, is quite tasty. I've already had a glass, I'm on my second. So, cheers. And here is just a little bit about it. The taste of adventure. Aromas of black cherry and bright red currant are balanced by hints of cedar and vanilla. In Boda's enchanting Cabernet, the lively finish is marked by notes of ripe cherry, plum, and vanilla. Smooth yet medium bodied, relish this wine with robust favorites like a classic chili or a juicy New York strip and a movie on the sofa. So before I get started too, I am going to add a little bit to my glass because you can't miss this. It sounds just like you're pouring it from a bottle. Maybe even better. Listen. All right. Now that I have a full glass, we can get started on talking about my spy this week. My spy today is Giacoma Casanova. And according to Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, the noun Casanova means lover. 
especially a man who is a promiscuous and unscrupulous lover. And you will hear uh, today why that definition is so accurate. Uh, because, wow, he was a crazy, crazy person. <laughs> so, since this episode is supposed to be about spies, why am I talking about one of history's most notorious playboys? Keep listening to find out. We know a lot about Casanova because he wrote an autobiography called Historie de ma vie or The Story of My Life. It's still regarded as one of the most authentic sources of the customs and norms of European social life during the 18th century. So if you're studying the 18th century, definitely pick up his memoir because it's got all the dirt and all the social norms that you need to know. But here, I wonder, and you probably will too, when you hear some of the stories I'm going to tell you today, whether he embellished a wee bit. Casanova was born in Venice, Italy, on April 2nd, 1725. He was the first of six children born to an actress, Zanetta Ferrucci. She was the wife of an actor and dancer, Gaetano Casanova. So acting was in his blood and in his upbringing. Casanova's father died when he was eight, and his grandmother raised him while his mother was out on tour because, of course, she was a famous actress and she had to be out on tour to survive. Conditions were bad at the boarding house where he lived with his grandmother, so he asked to be taken in by Abby Gozi, his primary instructor, who tutored him in academic subjects as well as violin. Casanova moved in with the priest and his family and lived there through most of his teenage years. According to his memoirs, the Ghazi household was where he first came into contact with the opposite sex. When his tutor's younger sister, Bettina, fondled him at the age of 11 which is kind of freaky to me because my youngest son is 11 right now and that's just wrong. Just got to say that. Ooh, makes me shudder. All right, moving on. Although she subsequently married someone else, Casanova maintained a lifelong attachment to Bettina and the Ghazi family. Casanova was horrible with his finances and is known as a con man, a rogue, a thief, a gambling addict, and an opportunist. But he was also a genius. He graduated from law school at the age of 17, a profession he was pushed into. He had wanted to be a physician. A quote from Casanova is... I should have been allowed to do as I wished and become a physician, in which profession quackery is even more effective than it is in legal practice. And that definitely goes into his character, because let me tell you, he was a con artist. He was also a poet, a writer, 
a musician, a lover, and a spy for more than 10 years of his life. And he spied for two different governments. While attending the university, Casanova began to gamble and quickly got into debt. So his grandmother called him back to Venice, but by then it was too late and gambling had become a firmly established habit. Back in Venice, Casanova started his clerical law career, but he went back and forth to Padua, which was the university that he had gone to, and continued his studies. But by now, he had become something of a dandy, and he was tall and dark, and he wore his long hair powdered and scented, and he wore it with elaborate curls. He found a patron, something he was amazingly able to do all of his life. This particular one was a 76-year-old Venetian senator who moved in the best circles and taught Casanova a great deal about good food and wine and how to behave in polite society. But his new benefactor caught Casanova dallying with his intended object of seduction. I'm, and I'm wondering too, if maybe he learned some of these seductive skills from this first senator. When uh, the senator caught him toying with this actress that he wanted to seduce, her name was Teresa Eimer, the senator drove them both from his house. So there he goes, he's lost his patronage. But Casanova's growing curiosity about women led to his first complete sexual experience with two sisters, Nanetta and Marton Savarnon, and they were 14 and 16. After his grandmother's death, Casanova worked at seminary until he was arrested and put in debtor's prison. He was released after volunteering to be a scapegoat for a scandal which involved a local pair of star-crossed lovers. The Cardinal dismissed Casanova and thanked him for his sacrifice, but the ordeal ended his career with the church, which he kind of comes back to a couple times later in life and contemplates again. Next, he somehow finds a way to buy a military commission where he was sent on a brief trip to Constantinople to deliver a letter from his former master, the Cardinal. Other than the trip, he found his advancement too slow and his duty boring. Then he managed to lose most of his pay gambling at a card game called Pharaoh. Casanova soon abandoned his military career and returned to Venice. He then tried his hand at professional gambling because what else would a gambler do? And he quickly lost everything before switching to his next career as a violinist. He was only 21 at this time. He became disenchanted with his musical career and it was about this time that he was in a gondola after a wedding ball with a senator who had a stroke. The physician who attended the man bled him and then applied this mercury ointment to his chest. 
So Casanova was not down with that. Casanova, who had wanted a career as a physician, ordered the removal of the ointment and was credited with saving the senator's life. The man then became a lifelong patron to Casanova and proclaimed him wise beyond his years. For the next three years, under the senator's patronage, he worked as a legal assistant and led the life of a nobleman. His patron warned him that one day he would pay a high price for his incorrigible behavior. Later, Casanova was forced to leave Venice. And this is a crazy story. He had dug up a freshly buried corpse to play a practical joke on an enemy and exact some kind of revenge. But the victim went into paralysis and never recovered. So essentially, he destroyed this person's life with a practical joke. And in another scandal, a young girl who he had duped or either who had duped him, I'm not quite sure, it was a little confusing. But anyway, she accused him of rape and went to the officials. Casanova was later acquitted of the crime for lack of evidence, but by this time he had already fled from Venice. In Parma, Casanova entered into a three-month affair with a French woman he named Henriette, who was the deepest love of his life. But seeing his ways, she broke things off with him. Then he toured France for two years where he continued his antics as he learned the language, spent a lot of time at the theater, and introduced himself to notables. Soon, however, his numerous liaisons were noted by the Paris police. He returned to Venice in 1753, where he resumed his escapades, picking up many enemies and gaining the greater attention of the Venetian inquisitors. His police record became a long list of reported blasphemies, seductions, fights, and public controversies. A state spy, Giovanni Manucci, was employed to draw out Casanova's knowledge of Kabbalism and Freemasonry. And and I'm not going to go into this in detail because there's so much, but there are many times where he associates with a lot of Freemasons, so he did have some knowledge of that background. This spy also wanted to examine uh, Casanova's libraries to check to make sure he didn't have any forbidden books. Senator Bragadin, who is the one who he had saved his life earlier and was a former inquisitor, warned Casanova to leave immediately or face the stiffest consequences. And on July 26, 1755, Casanova was arrested for affront to religion and common decency. He was sentenced to five years in prison, and the conditions of his cell were nothing like the homes of the nobles he'd been living in. So this is a complete turnabout in fate for him. He was in solitary confinement and his cell had fleas and it was hot and it was miserable. 
Casanova conspired with another prisoner and escaped. And there was this whole really complicated story behind that, but I don't have time to go into it today. After he escaped, he fled to Paris. And his first task was to find a new patron, because what else does a con artist do except mooch money off of people? He reconnected with an old friend, De Bernis, who was now the foreign minister of France. He then became one of the trustees of the first state lottery. The enterprise earned him a large fortune, and with the money he traveled in high circles and undertook new seductions. He duped many socialites with his occultism, particularly the Marquis Jean du Urfay, using his excellent memory, which made him appear to have a sorcerer's power of numerology. One of Casanova's quotes is, Deceiving a fool is an exploit worthy of an intelligent man. So he found much pleasure in deceiving people. Next, he claimed to be an alchemist and was highly sought after for his supposed knowledge. And he profited handsomely from this. He met his match, a man called the Count de Saint-Germain, who said, This very singular man... Born to be the most bare-faced of all impostors, declared with impunity, with a casual air, that he was 300 years old, that he possessed the universal medicine, that he made anything he liked from nature, that he created diamonds. And, because he was so good at keeping a straight face as he lied, it was at this time that his friend de Bernis decided to send Casanova to Dunkirk on his first spying mission. Casanova was paid well and was financially at the top of his game. The French government even offered to make him a citizen, but he declined. Not really sure why. It could have been because of his wandering ways, or it could have been because he truly loved his home city of Venice, which is, it's said he did. But his old habits wouldn't go away. His gambling and paying for his female companions caught up with him. He was put in debtor's prison again. He was released four days later before he fled to Holland on another mission. This time, however, I don't know the specifics, but his mission failed and he fled to Colonia then Stuttgart in the spring of 1760, where, of course, he lost the rest of his fortune and was yet again arrested for his debts. Weary of his crazy, wanton life, he visited a monastery and briefly considered the simple, scholarly life of a monk. So there we have it, where this is like the second time he's considered his faith. So I think he was very torn and probably went back and forth and felt guilty about the way he acted. At least I'm really hoping he did. But from here, he travels like crazy, trying to get other countries to invest in state lotteries. He even went to Russia where Catherine the Great turned him down. Somewhere along the way, he was in a pistol duel over a lady picked up a venereal disease, and was put in jail in Spain. 
After all these adventures, he decided he wanted to return home to Venice. But it wasn't that easy. He had to appeal to the Venetian authorities who had him spy in order to gain readmittance to his hometown. They finally admitted him, and he was a bit of a celebrity at first because everyone wanted to hear about his exploits. He was now 49 years old, and the years of reckless living and the thousands of miles of travel had taken their toll. Casanova's smallpox scars, sunken cheeks, and hook nose became all more noticeable, and the ladies were no longer as willing as they once had been. His easygoing manner was now more guarded, and financial opportunities dried up. So, he reluctantly became a spy again for Venice. He was paid by piecework and reported on religion, morals, and commerce. Most of it based on gossip and rumor he picked up from social contacts. I also listened to a documentary on him that claimed he had Armenian ancestry, so he may have been able to use the Armenian language and feign ignorance of it to gain knowledge, especially from the monks who he uh, had a close tie to because of his religious leanings. In his last years, Casanova settled down for a while with a seamstress, had an argument with Voltaire, translated his own version of the Iliad, collaborated with Mozart, and met Benjamin Franklin. And I'm not even giving you half of what he did. The man got around. He definitely got around. Casanova died in June of 1798 at the age of 73. His last words are said to have been, I have lived as a philosopher and I die as a Christian. So there we go again, back to that religious part that he, I I think he really must have toiled with that. Casanova was buried in the Czech Republic, but the exact place of his grave was forgotten over the years and it remains unknown today. So since he was a prolific writer, I was able to find several quotes by Casanova, and I'm going to leave you with two of my favorite. The first one. One who makes no mistakes makes nothing. If you have not done things worthy of being written about, at least write things worthy of being read. Now, on to what I'm reading this week. I think I've said before, when my husband and I travel, we normally download an audiobook to listen to. And this time he went with one of mine that I had picked that I was going to listen to no matter what. And I'm glad he did. And I think he is too, because even though we didn't finish it during the journey, he is putting it on hold and he is going to listen to the rest of it. And I, st- I still have a little bit to go, but we are both really, really enjoying this book. It's The Alice Network by Kate Quinn. In an enthralling new historical novel from national best-selling author Kate Quinn, two women, a female spy recruited to the real-life Alice Network in France during World War I, 
and an unconventional American socialite searching for her cousin in 1947 are brought together in a mesmerizing story of courage and redemption. 1947. In the chaotic aftermath of World War II, American college girl Charlie St. Clair is pregnant, unmarried, and on the verge of being thrown out of her very proper family. She's also nursing a desperate hope that her beloved cousin Rose, who disappeared in Nazi-occupied France during the war, might still be alive. So when Charlie's parents banish her to Europe to have her little problem taken care of, Charlie breaks free and heads to London, determined to find out what happened to the cousin she loves like a sister. 1915, a year into the Great War, Eve Gardner burns to join the fight against the Germans and unexpectedly gets her chance when she's recruited to work as a spy. Sent into enemy-occupied France, she's trained by the mesmerizing Lily, the Queen of Spies, who manages a vast network of secret agents right under the enemy's nose. Thirty years later, haunted by the betrayal that ultimately tore apart the Alice network, Eve spends her days drunk and secluded in her crumbling London house, until a young American barges in uttering a name Eve hasn't heard in decades and launches them both on a mission to find the truth, no matter where it leads. And like I said, I'm really, really enjoying this book. I'm about halfway through it and I can't wait to press play and listen to more. And on to a book of mine. This week, I did a cover reveal, and uh, pre-orders are up now for my latest book in the Highland Pride series. It's book five, and it's called Highland Obligation. And here is a little bit about it. Forced to wed the lass responsible for his friend's death, Grant MacDonald is determined to tame his savage wife. On a mission to Edinburgh to prevent war, sparks fly as they spar with each other, and he begins to see her hard exterior maybe hiding something softer. But will he be able to stop her quest for vengeance before another life is lost? As second in command of an outlawed rebel group, Isabel McLean seeks justice for those who cannot defend themselves. When her identity is compromised, a Highland warrior allows her nemesis to escape before she can eliminate the threat. Obligated to marry the man who put her and her clan's lives in danger, she resists the pull of her new husband. But when he prevents her from seeking justice, how will she save his life? So I'm going to put the link for both of those books down in the show notes. And I have a reader question today. And the question is, how long does it take you to write a book? And honestly, this varies. It depends on what else I have going on at the same time. If I'm doing uh, revisions on another book or if I'm just straight out writing, if I am writing without any interruptions from any other part of the writing business, then I can write a full-length novel in about a month and a half. It typically takes me a lot longer because there are usually interruptions. Uh, there are other things like novellas that just take a few weeks. 
but then the whole process of revising and editing breaks into that and takes more time. And now I have a question for you guys. I want to know, do you only read in one genre or do you hop around to different ones? I tend to need a little variety in what I read. So I read all over the place, but sometimes I go through a spell where I only want to read one thing. Email us at historybooksandwine at gmail.com and you never know, maybe we'll discuss your answer or your question on a future podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Please join us next week, August 29th, for our monthly happy hour. Eliza Knight, Madeline Martin, and I will be discussing all things spies, gadgets, and espionage. There will be history, great stories, laughs, and of course, wine. Our website is historybooksandwine.buzzsprout.com, where we will have the show notes for today's episode. They can also be found on iTunes with our podcast. History Books and Wine can be found on Spotify, and if you say, Alexa, play History Books and Wine podcast, she will play the most recent episode. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review, and remember, you can always send us questions at historybooksandwine at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in, and have a great week.